Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. I just want to say Merry Christmas and welcome to Calvary Chapel Crossfields. And today I'm going to do something a little bit different and I believe it's going to appeal to everyone. You know, a lot of people have questions, especially those that may not know the Lord. You know, what's this thing with Christmas and what's the big issue? And, you know, I see the manger scenes and there's shepherds, there's soldiers, there's Mary. It's like a big party in the manger. Some people have Mario and Luigi in there for their video games. And people who don't know anything about the Christmas message have a lot of questions they don't understand. So what I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to go through the Bible in chronological order, which means that I'm going to go primarily through Luke and also Matthew. Now, Matthew focused on certain things. Luke focused on other things. What we're going to do is take it as in the order it, as it occurred. I think it's going to make that much more sense, and it's really going to pop. So that's what I want to do uh, in the next few moments. So by the end of the message, hopefully everybody understands what the reason for the season is. So I'm going to start with uh, John 1, the Gospel of John, and read a few verses. We're also going to have some images on the screen to keep the attention of the little ones as well. And in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, right? The Greek word is logos. That was the name for Jesus Christ, one of the many names that he has, uh, Father, Son, the Son is the second person of the Godhead, the eternally existent one. And uh, when he was on the earth, God's words came out of his mouth. Every word was, was powerful. It was Holy Spirit inspired. So let's check it out. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Again, a lot of people have the idea, this babe in the manger, that's the first time Jesus ever came to be, and the truth is that Jesus always existed. He just came to earth, and we'll find out why he did that. So it says, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And sometimes the darkness does not want to comprehend it. We live in a world, Pastor Joe, you know, joy, peace, goodwill on earth. What happened 2,000 years later? People hate each other. There's wars. There's all kinds of... Remember, God gave us free will. He made us free moral agents to choose him, to follow him, or to rebel against him. And there's consequences to that. So why did Jesus come? Well, he did some great miracles. He taught some great things. He healed people, Right? Well, there was more to it, as we'll see. And for those of you who are science-minded, since I have a shot of the, uh, the cosmos up there, the universe, a um, few scriptures here that the Bible talks about, that since we're talking about creation, might as well start with the beginning, and then we'll move our way chronologically, right? In Job 9.8 and Psalm 104.2, and many other scriptures, it speaks about God expanding the universe. So before the telescopes, before the scientists, before... Uh, Brahe before Copernicus, before Kepler, the Bible said that the universe was expanding because that's how God set it up. People didn't know that. In the Middle Ages, it's because they weren't reading their Bibles. It's very simple. 
So we see this written thousands of years ago before all this modern equipment. The Bible also tells us in Isaiah 40.22 that the earth is a sphere. Again, before we sent spacecraft out there and took pictures of the earth, took pictures of the planet, did all these mathematical equations, it was always there thousands of years ago, many years before the telescope. We'll move on. Um, sometimes on a Christmas Eve service or Christmas Day, I'll do some genealogy, the line that Jesus came from. I'm going to spare you from all the names this afternoon. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, just to suffice it to say that Christ had to come into a certain bloodline. He left the glory of the heavens and he came, took the form of a man. But he also had to take that form in a certain family line because of the prophecies. And you can fake a lot of things in life, but who can fake who they're going to be born to? It's just an impossibility. Okay? We continue. Luke 1. We're going to go to Luke 1, verse 26. So you have to reach the skeptic as well as the believer. I try to mix everything in to make a nice cake of a sermon like that. So Luke one twenty six. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So right away, the angel says, rejoice. This is good news. I'm here on a good mission. Because if you know your Bible history, especially in the Old Testament, the angels sometimes came for judgment. The angels sometimes came to slay uh, evil armies. So it's a little unnerving. Like today, uh, people think that angels are these little chubby little creatures with you know, beautiful blonde ringlets and stuff that kind of hang out on a cloud somewhere. But if you really know your biblical history, um, angels were pretty powerful. They are still powerful beings. So you see this, this introduction here. Verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. One little problem, Mary um, interjects and says to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? I know how babies are made, and I'm a virgin, so how is this possible? The angels answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived the Son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, or unable to have children, this miracle. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, there's a scripture that addresses this. A lot of people don't know that. The virgin will have a child. This miracle goes all the way back to Isaiah, and I'll just read it. 
714, 8th century B.C., some 800 years before Christ came down to the earth. This was also foretold. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which literally means with us is God. So it was understood from the observant Jews of that time that when the Messiah came, he would be deity. Okay, so we continue. Luke 1.39 Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Zacharias was a, an elderly priest. Or he actually served in the, in the temple, and he officiated uh, the lighting of the candles and things of that nature. And Zacharias uh, and Elizabeth, apparently they couldn't have kids, but God did a, ma a miracle. And in their old age, sort of like Abraham and Sarah, um, she was able to conceive, and in her womb was John the Baptist, who came chronologically before Jesus to pave the way for Jesus. So it's pretty interesting what happens. So Mary goes to greet her relative Elizabeth, and it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So even John in the womb, hearing the greeting of Mary, knowing that Jesus was in her womb, there was a connection there. Pretty amazing. Then she spoke out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment to those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, she's going to take a small portion of this, this many know as Mary's Magnificat. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, I exalt the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. This is impressive because even Mary knew that she needed a Savior. She says it. A lot of ideas about Mary and Jesus, and we just have to go back to the Scripture. Um, God used Mary. She was a, a wonderful young lady as the vehicle, so to speak, to bring forth the Christ child, the Messiah. And here she's rejoicing in the Lord, like overwhelmed that God would bestow this upon her. She was a humble young lady, and she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in God, my Savior. So Mary knew that the child that she was carrying was going to make propitiation or atonement for her sins as well, right? So we continue. And basically what happens is God brings these two miraculous births to be. First John the Baptist to come and to pave the way for Jesus. And then Jesus to come and to die for our sins. If we would turn to Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Unbeknownst to Joseph, by the way. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Those two verses seem incongruous. 
You see, Joseph finds out that the young lady that he was in love with is pregnant. And he is like, I don't get it. You know, we were pure. We didn't do anything, and we're not married yet. So his assumption was that she cheated on him, I guess you could say. And he doesn't know what's going on. But he's such a good man that even though he feels betrayed, it says he was minded to put her away secretly. He goes to dissolve the relationship and not make a big deal and embarrass her. We continue. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and I quoted this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her or did not have relations with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. This is amazing how God takes all these eclectic events, these eclectic ideas, these human beings, people like us who are frail, who are flawed, who are sinners. He's got to bring it all together to make this thing happen. And I, you know what I love about this too, folks, is that are they any different, Mary and Joseph, than you and I? Really, no. We're sinners too. We're flawed too. We pray and we maybe, you know, we do a lot of things. We read the Bible and then God says, this is my will, and sometimes we don't get it. You know, we don't always follow it easy. So God had to take all these humans <laughs> to get on board with his plan. And Joseph needed to be a part of this because he needed to marry Mary, adopt a child into, into his family line as well, and raise the boy until Jesus becomes a man. Continuing on, let's move to Luke 2, 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So if you're a student of history and you follow ancient Rome, um, there's some names that will stand out to you. There were a line of Caesars, there were regional leaders, there were tetrarchs, and so forth. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, another real figure in addition to Caesar Augustus. You see, the Bible gives detail. Actually, Luke was a physician. He was very ordered in his thoughts, in his methodology. And Luke, when he wrote, put a lot of different facts in there because he wrote pretty much annals of history. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. So there's this census. We have a census too, don't we? Every 10 years, right? We, you hear it, you see it in the news. And this was a way for governments to to tax people, to see demographics, to look at a representative government like Rome was, and we've kind of taken some of that. So you'll see a lot of things in these ancient cultures we do as well, right? These are real-life things that happen. And what they wanted to do was to get everybody to go back to their family line and the city where they came from. So it was a, it was a rough journey for Mary and Joseph to come back here or to go to Bethlehem 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. By the way, a manger is a feeding trough, just so you know. Some people think a manger was the structure, this nice place that they had set up. No, because there was no room for them at the end. Sometimes when you're, you know, if you watch too much TV in Western culture, you'll think that everything in ministry is supposed to be posh and perfect. And that's not really true. As you go through the Old and the New Testaments, you see that God's people had to really trust him. Things weren't always perfect, okay? So it says now, or so, so that's what's happening. There was no room for them in the end. And you can see, actually, for those of you that know me well, my wife um, rescues cats, dogs, now horses. So that kind of, I looked at that and I thought of my own home. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there's, just, there's just animals everywhere, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Oh, we'll move on. <laughs> this is what well, I think what's, again, so many things to me I find just remarkable in that there was also prophecy that this would happen, that Mary and Joseph would end up in Bethlehem and that Jesus would be born there. And this is in, I don't know how many know this, but in the 8th century B.C., remember some 800 years before Christ came to the earth, the prophet Micah in Micah 5.2 prophesied this. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though, because there was more than one Bethlehem, house of bread, it was a little bit of a common name for a town. We have towns that New Jersey, which, well, which Washington, which Franklin are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? So we have this too, right? I like to bring us, I like to bring what's happening then to help us to understand what we deal with today, so many similarities. Though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And that means actually from eternity. So God is saying right there, right there, that when the Christ comes, he's not going to just be the babe in the manger. He existed eternally before he took the form of a person. All the prophecies line, line up with these things. Um, you know, and, and God really fulfilled some pretty awesome prophecies because he loves us, right? And we'll see that. Genesis 49.10 is an extremely old prophecy, thousands of years old, that tells us, before anybody knew who Rome was, that the Messiah would be born during a political upheaval in the Roman government in the turn of the first century. Herod Archelaus, right? He has to give way to Caponius, who's a Roman prefect, and eventually those, the line of the prefects ends up with Pontius Pilate. It's fascinating. You can go into your dictionary or you can go into your encyclopedias and find the names of all these people, just like the Bible said. Now, let me mix a little fun in for, the, for those that really want to grasp onto their faith, to, re to really know that my faith is real and what does this mean and how do I prove this? And I have loved ones and friends that aren't buying it. Okay, well, let's do that. There's a book, if you want to write it down, it's called Science Speaks by Peter Stoner. Okay, Peter Stoner has many degrees, uh, astronomy, physics, the guy's a genius. What he does is he shows, well, 
We know that through the Scripture that Jesus fulfilled close to 300 prophecies. That's powerful. How do you do that? And like I said before, some of them were fulfilled with what family you would be born into as a fetus. It's, not, it's an impossible thing to fake. So what he does is he says that he takes eight of the major prophecies out of 300, by the way, and I'm going to tell you why, and he gives the probability of them being fulfilled. And the probability is 1 in 10 to the 17. That's 17 zeros. Million, uh, billion, trillion, quadrillion. Keep going. You got a lot more zeros to catch up with. So the odds are, are more remote than getting struck by lightning, than winning the lottery every day. I mean, these are incredible prophecies. As a matter of fact, in the book... I actually took probability and statistics in college. It was very fascinating, you know, if you're a numbers person um, and the odds and all these kind of things. But um, what this shows is for Jesus to just fulfill eight out of 300, he said it's commensurate to taking silver dollars. Now, Texas is a big state. Taking silver dollars and putting them all across the face of Texas, covering Texas, now raising them two feet deep, all these silver dollars, blindfolding a man and asking him to walk across Texas, blindfolded, and just pick one silver dollar the first time, the, the one that's marked, and get it right. Eight out of 300 prophecies. Right? <laughs> you know how many people have set out to disprove Christianity and have become Christians? A lot. I've read some of their books. Powerful. So we continue. Luke 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Remember, she's a young lady. And she has this awesome responsibility. And you, you see this throughout the scripture as you read it. She would ponder these things in her heart. She would... Not fully understand it, but she would trust God for the results. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard and seen as it was told them. Now, just to, uh, let's go back to, uh, what do you call it, a crash, the manger scene, people put stuff out in their decorations. Again, um, some of them, there's shepherds, there's wise men, everybody's there uh, hanging out with Jesus. And technically, that's not accurate. 
The shepherds came first, the wise men came later, but if I go to your house and I see that, I'm not going to say anything, I promise. So (laughs) I'm just letting you know in case you're interested. But what I find fascinating here is that is that if you understand culture, if you want to go back to Middle Eastern culture, shepherds were low on the caste system. They were looked down upon by the educated. They were looked down upon by the political class. Um, they were, society was okay kind of keeping them low. And what did God do? He reached out to them first. You know, don't you get frustrated when you look on TV and you see another politician who did something and they don't get caught and they keep evading justice. It bothers us because it, it strikes at the heart of our sense of justice. If you are powerful, if you're political, if you're connected, there's a good chance if you do things that we would go to jail for, you probably will skate. What God did was he doesn't play by the world's rules and that's what I love about him. He went to the shepherds. He went to the lowest of the low, not in his eyes, but in society's eyes, and they got the first glance at the Christ child. I love that about my God. Continuing on in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, now, I don't think he's great, but his name was, if you look up history, his name was Herod the Great. He was an incredible builder, but he was an insanely paranoid, jealous, and, and paranoid person. Uh, so Herod the king. And Herod considered himself king of the Jews. You know, it's amazing. Today, people do the same thing. If they get big enough titles, then they assume that they represent certain people. They assume that everybody loves them. And Herod just wanted to be the king. So what happens is, it says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now you could imagine this troubled Herod, and it says it right here, When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, Thus it is written by the prophet. Before I go there, there was a whole, again, there was a political class. right? You read Roman history, you understand that. It doesn't even have to be the Bible. Secular history will tell you the problems in the political culture in Roman history. right? There was also a religious class who over, the, over time in religion gained a lot of clout and a lot of power. And unless you were part of the religious class or the political class in Rome, you were nothing. So what happened was, it's amazing what God does. He came to shake up religion. He did. There was an assumption about how you do religion. There's assumptions today. You know what God wants? He wants a relationship with us. Honestly, you you start reading the Bible, you say 2,000 years later, are people really that different? Is society really that different? Doesn't seem like it. But God has always wanted our hearts not mindless rote rituals, not just saying things to say them and almost where you've memorized them. He wants a discussion with us. He wants us to pray and to talk to him. He wants to walk with us as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall. We continue. Verse 5, so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, don't you think the religious people should have known that? Today, do people speak for us as Christians and not know the Bible or say things in their opinion that goes against the Scripture? It's no different back here. All the religious people. Oh, yeah, 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 the prophecies. Oh, yeah, the, the ones that God kind of said through the prophets. Oh, yeah, maybe we should look at that. Religion takes on a life of its own sometimes. And what it does is it, 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 it pushed, pushes people away from God sometimes instead of bringing them towards God. And this is what was happening here. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may also come and worship him. He actually wasn't being genuine. Um, and we find out later about the massacre that, he, uh, that Herod had uh, perpetrated upon the people to make sure that there wouldn't be any child Messiah left. Of course, um, Jesus was not massacred. God divinely reminded them to go away from that area to protect themselves. When they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Wow, these are grown men, dignitaries from other countries, falling down to worship a child. Interesting. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely war warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. You know, there's a lot of study that's been done on these wise men. And the understanding is that they came from either Persia or Babylon. Today, we would know that as Iran and Iraq. Pre-1979, before the Islamic Revolution in, in Iran, there was much favorability towards Christianity and Judaism. Everything changed, but a few centuries, or excuse me, a few decades ago, and these magi, or these wise men, saw the star, and they start following it. Now, some have speculated it's an asteroid or a comet. Um, the Greek word aster, asteros, uh, can indicate uh, any heavenly body. It's been used interchangeably. I just want to throw some stuff at you. Does anybody ever use the, um, it's an astronomy program, it's professional grade. It's not, it's not Christian, completely secular. It's called Starry Night. Anybody ever use that? Wow. Well, check this out. Now you're in for a treat, okay, since nobody raised their hand. If you go on the starry night, you load it onto your computer, you can pinpoint the heavenly bodies anywhere on the planet as if you were standing and looking up at the sky in any direction, in any year, going back thousands of years. How do we know this? Because Johannes Kepler, Tycho Brahe, Right? Sir Isaac Newton, all worked on planetary motion. They all worked on the laws of physics. You know, when people believed the geocentric universe, which means that the Earth was the center, these men said, no, 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 that's wrong. It's heliocentric. The sun is the center of our solar system. Okay? And through these certain laws, you can extrapolate. You can also go back retrospectively 
And you can see at any point in time where Venus is, where Saturn is, where some of these stars are. Fascinating. Because of the way God sent everything in motion. The Bible also tells us that the sun and the planets revolve on a circuit. Where years ago people thought, well, the earth was fixed and the sun just kind of went at the edge of the day, kind of went into the water somewhere and then came up again the next day until we started doing a little mathematics. So I know it's heavy, but... Back in those days, if you look at Starry Night and go back 2,000 years, what you'll find is if you're in Persia or you're in Babylon and you're looking west because you're in the east, right? What you'll find is Venus, Regulus, and Jupiter in retrograde motion appearing to stop above the house where Mary and Joseph and the child was. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? You understand retrograde motion, it has to do with if you are on a moving platform as we are on planet Earth and you see the other planets moving and they're not in a complete perfect circle but they're more in an elliptical fashion. There's times in the sky that you will see a heavenly body move and then stop. It didn't stop, it's just retrograde motion. This is a lot of fun. See, I'm, I'm big into educating Christians on why they should believe what they believe. So this is all fact. You know, again, this is a program that some genius made up or geniuses has nothing to do with Christianity, but you can use it to prove the biblical story. Isn't that amazing? Come on, tell me that's amazing. And I didn't invent it. I'm just saying these, it's pretty amazing. But so, so this is what's going on. And uh, we continue. And now, the reason for the season, why Jesus came into the world the Christmas story, right? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus told as He, you know, He's child, baby, child, boy, grows up, becomes a man, starts His earthly ministry, gathers His disciples, goes through much of the, the known world back then or the, the center of it. Opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead. He tells his disciples that he's got to go to the cross. Right? The night he's betrayed, he washes their feet. He teaches them what it means to be a servant, a true servant, not like today, oh, I'm, I, you know, or a, a true leader. For a leader, you need to be a servant. Not like today where you, a lot of people you see, some of you might have bosses that, they feel the more they flex their authority, the more they knuckle down on you shows that they're leaders. It doesn't. Jesus says, leadership is different when it comes to me. But Jesus even told his disciples the night that he was betrayed that he was going to die, go to the cross. His disciples were incredulous. They were in disbelief. They protested. Imagine that, his disciples. What do you mean? We've saw, we, we saw the dead raised. What do you mean you're going to die? This doesn't make any sense to us. But what Jesus did was he came into the world so that he could bear his body on the tree, bear the sin of the world so that you and I could have freedom. Because nobody gets to heaven by charisma, by money, by good looks, by religion, by having a card in your back pocket that says that you're part of a Christian denomination. It has to be through Jesus Christ. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. All the moving around and the census and then fleeing from Herod and all this stuff happened 
because the Christ had to be preserved and he had to grow up so that he could die for our sins. So what you see is that God did so much on his end. But remember, he gave us free will. So why is the world so messed up if Jesus came? Because much of the world, Jesus says, there's two paths to everlasting life. There's the, there's the wide road and the narrow road. And every, a lot of people follow the wide road. The Hollywood, the talk show, and there's exceptions. The religious culture, they're all telling you how to get to heaven or that you'll be fine and don't worry about it. Listen, when you take your last breath, that's not the time to decide or realize whether it's true or not, and you can't go back and do it over again. So the wide road, Jesus says, a lot of people find it and it leads to destruction. He goes, Jesus said, but there's a narrow road to true heaven, so you're not judged for your sin. So there is no hell, and it gets you to heaven. He goes, but very few find that road. So my question is, or my, my based on what Jesus' teachings are, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, period. It's exclusive, but it's also all-inclusive. So many paradoxes in, in God's, in our understanding of, of God's teaching. It's completely exclusive, one way, but it's all-inclusive. The whole world could do it at once, and he's got plenty of room in his heaven for all of us. So my question to you is, what will be your response? When I was... Um, about 25 years ago when I came to the Lord, uh, we had friends that had this print. If you can't see it that well, it's basically Jesus holding a man up. And you can see Jesus with the, with the wounds through his wrists made at the cross. And he's holding a man up who's exhausted. He's exasperated. He's, he's done. He's le lethargy. He's got nothing left in him. And he's holding a mallet and he's holding the nail that put Jesus on the cross. See, folks, and I don't say this in a mean way, but you and I, the reason why Christ went to the cross is because he loves us. Because there was no other way to get to heaven except for him to die for our sins. And the truth is, as sinners, we've all held that mallet and that nail. But he went to the cross out of love for us. You see? Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again of the Spirit. What does that mean? That you have to go to a church that says it's born again or you have to call yourself a born again believer? Again, that goes back to religion. No, it means that we're all born physically into this world. If you're sitting here and I'm looking at you and you're breathing and you're, you've all, you all had somebody that brought you into this world. You were born physically into the world. But Jesus said that in every person's life, there must come a point where they're also born of the Spirit. That's what that means. It doesn't mean if your church has the name born again, you're good. It means that you as an individual have to be born again of the Spirit, period. You know, and I can say this with a smile because it's, it's, it's hope. It's a great story. So you could be poor, you could be disabled, you could have no friends. Well, I can't do good works and I can't give money and I can't. It's okay. Christ died for your sins. All you have to do is believe and trust in the sacrifice that he made for your sins. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. 
We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.